Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Jeff Billard from Sonic Echo and you're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed, and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. We left our hero en route for his acclamation, the final ritual hurdle that stands between him and full vice-chancellorhood. It ought to be the easiest and pleasantest bit of the process, nothing to it but a quick ceremonial snack with the head of each college in turn. If they accept him, all will be well. If they don't, they can poison him to death. Either way, he'll have to rush if he hopes to cram all thirty meetings into a single afternoon, especially if his mind keeps wandering off at inconvenient moments. This is Day 8, Part 4. If You Can't Keep Your Head It is the eighth day of the return to Watergate. The time and place of writing is after eight o'clock in the evening, in the private study of the manse of the vice-chancellor. We begin. And to think, everything was going perfectly to plan. A Baz plan, and therefore an uncomfortably tight fit for a more or less mere human such as yourself. But, still, you pinballed through the machinery of Altergate University on a perfectly calculated trajectory. And honestly, you'd have thought that if your acclamation could survive its first stop, it could survive anything. Yes. First stop... Kermantle College, 
and that dreadful old viper, Lester Kang. <sighs> Lester Kang. You recognize the name. He's one of the big muckers on the Society of Preservationists, and he's exactly what you might have expected if you weren't such an irrepressible optimist. Lester Kang. Historian, classicist, theoretical sociologist. Came to Kermantle when he was twelve, and hasn't left since. A staunch Aldergate supremacist, and a Kermantleist above all. In other words, feels as if he owns the place. Worse, he feels he owns the last word when it comes to what may and what may not be done by and with his university. And, worser yet, he may be correct about that. You've yet to have your first row with the preservationists, you're already dreading it in a way Lester Kang would no doubt find tremendously satisfying. He informed you airily that there had been a movement in Regent House to draft him as the next VC, but that he had refused, steadfastly refused to accept a position that might forcibly dilute his loyalty to his college. <laughs> you almost believe him. You are growing painfully aware of just how much diplomacy goes into vice-chancelling, and this Kang is flatly allergic to the stuff. And he does like refusing things. That crusty old office of his has a whole wallful of framed invitations to join the Royal Society, to accept a Wolfson Prize, to appear on a special charity edition of University Challenge, etc., Beside each invitation is a framed carbon copy of his own terse letter of rejection. <laughs> what a creep. Now that Twist Kermandel has managed to build and maintain an elite school of applied technology under the governance of that fossilized Luddite, you've no idea. His profs probably do it to spite him. Anyhow... After a bit of grousing, he generously agreed to get on with the ritual. He slopped you out half a cup of oversteeped Darjeeling from a pot on the sideboard, and then he dug out a currant bun from some secret stash, and... well... And that's when it all started happening. The hijackings. Your teacup emptied itself as you held it. The bun vanished piece by piece. Your mouth filled and refilled with crumbs, but you never took a bite, not in person. It was him. Other ward, butting in. What's he want, eh? What's he after? Current buns, clearly. But what else? Ugh. Kang finished with you at last, and the acclamation was in full swing. Trot next door to Empress for a Perrier and a macaroon with Dr. Mikola. Lovely man. Office full of birds. And so on, don't you know, and so forth. One college after the next, in order of founding.
After Empress, it was off to dear old Elden House and the mysterious Yuliana Lobanova. You do wish you could have gotten off on a better foot there. There's scads of things you'd like to ask her about. What are her plans for Elden Elden, Flower of the Order? What exactly was she doing up in Ninette's? And how on earth did she manage to land the top spot anyhow? She doesn't look a day older than you are, if that. And her rise to power is particularly impressive given that she barely speaks a word of English. Aldergate, as an institution, is fluent in every living language, and has some pretty educated guesses about the dead ones. But English remains the lingua franca of university politics. You'd dearly like to know how the Lobanova regime came about, but, alas, you could hardly ask her about it. Dreadfully indelicate, and... Well, as mentioned, she barely speaks a word of English. Your Russians know better, and your mutual French proved to be a strange and unruly creature that obscured more than it revealed. So you politely asked her the way to the beach, and she told you all about her aunt's quill, and at last she pulled a foil packet out of her desk drawer. From this packet, she plucked out a pinch of dried meat shreds and motioned for you to hold out your hands to receive them. You did so, and, well, you ate them. Impolite not to. They weren't exactly unpleasant. Pungent, you'd call them. Gamey. She gave you a Diet Coke to wash them down. And then, blip. A ninety-second walkabout, by your reckoning. When you returned, she was laughing her head off. So, other ward is either a superior linguist, or a gifted physical comedian. You departed with all courteous speed. <sighs> all right. Kermantle, Empress, Elden. Chamber. Yes, Chamber College was a trial. Lord Gregory Lofton does not like you because you used to work for a living, and you do not like Lord Gregory Lofton because he's a prick. Also, that wedge of Stilton he gave you was practically sentient. And yes, Lord Gregory, no doubt some people don't appreciate our... <coughs> Very fine glass of port. But then again, some people aren't already half a bottle in before two o'clock in the afternoon. You wish you could have missed out on some of that interview. But no, other ward decided to let you have Lord Gregory all to yourself. Instead, he took almost all of your turn through Whipple College, which is infuriating because what you managed to catch of it seemed delightful. Dr. Vasquez and his secretary, Mr. Alba, are both utterly charming, but because you were absent for the introductions, you have no idea which of them is which. They gave you a fine bone cup of some sort of jasminey infusion, brewed fresh from loose leaves that Dr. Vasquez, or Mr. Alba, 
selected individually from a monstrous old apothecary chest with about a thousand little drawers. You only got a sip of it before other ward barged in again. After you left, a post-hoc analysis of the bits between your teeth suggested that there had been some sort of pastry as well. Something crisp and flaky that aftertasted of aniseed. What has got your alter ego so hungry all of a sudden? Ah, well. Onward. Let's see. Punkty punkty punk. Delora College. Melanie Lynn. Lipton and a Jaffa Cake. Says she remembers you from the old days. Probably said some other stuff as well. You left halfway through and didn't get back until she was showing you out, with one hand firmly on the small of your back, and an expression that suggested you'd made a joke that she oughtn't to have enjoyed. Next, Occam. Simone Galvin. Dr. Galvin? Mm, she'd got a sheepskin of some sort on the wall of her office. But it's in Devanagari's script, and you've no idea. She gave you fresh coffee in your own press pot, and an almond biscuit with little flecks of vanilla seed. Jolly good. And you got to have it yourself for a change. Oh, on an actual professional note, Galvin wants you to lobby Regent House to restore Frederick II's menagerie as a biodynamic vivarium. You do not know what that means, but it sounds delicious. So, from Ockham to Queensmead. Yes, this whole acclamation ordeal would have been a lot more efficient if you hadn't to go bouncing back and forth across town for the sake of proper order of precedence. Alas, efficiency seems to be a pretty low priority for the Lex Ordigatiensis. So, the dead hand of custom gripped you by the collar, and off to Queensmead you went. Yes, off to Queensmead. Drat the ugly place. Now, that's not fair. Queensmead College isn't ugly, it's iconic. Yes, that's about right. That so-called noble heap is what you see over the wall, coming from Brindle-on-Fay, so it's an image that's indelibly linked with the university. And, from that vantage point, it's really quite lovely to look at, in a jumbled way. The trouble comes when you're in a hurry and trying to navigate it. As usual, it's all history's fault. Queensmead was the first agricultural college when it was founded, back in the 1300s. The scope and scale of human learning has expanded a bit since then, but the college has insisted on maintaining a tract of experimental farmland inside its walls. Needless to say, that's left them even more than usually strapped for building space. Having no room to grow but on top of itself, Queensmead did exactly that. Century by century, layer by layer, steel and glass sprouting from Norman stone. 
The resulting pile has as many nicknames as it has conflicting architectural styles, ranging from Second Troy and Hogwarts to, most popularly, the Tumor. You'd have got lost without a trace if you'd tried to go it alone. Even after you enlisted a native guide, fey-looking girl who'd been knitting something out of wire in the Lizzie Alley gatehouse, and still took you twenty minutes to find Osterman's private study. Then it took you a further twenty to find Osterman, messing about with the pipes in the washroom down the hall. At first she didn't know who you were. Then she started into rail at you for usurping Sir Reggie's throne. Stoutly refuses to believe that the old boy's gone for good. So, and it's nothing personal, but as far as she's concerned, you're a carpet-bagging interloper. As she expounded upon this thesis, you heard the distant bells of the Warden College Carolyn. Each stroke was a pile-driver blow, hammering home the realization that, no matter what it felt like, time was marching on and you were barely a quarter of the way through this acclamation nuisance. It took every ounce of your tact to lure her back to her study, away from the interested crowd that had gathered. Only after regaling her with tales of your own long friendship with old Sir Reggie could you persuade her to perform her end of the dance. Finally, she gave you a boiled sweet and a glass of water, and settled in to share her own reminiscences of the good old days, when vice-chancellors were vice-chancellors. You'd be there yet, most likely, if not for the intervention of a Baz Ex Machina. She'd abandoned you at Ockham, and you had feared the worst. But then, like young Lochinvar, she came charging to your rescue. She shot Osterman down with a look, swung you onto her saddle, and carried you away to a mercifully compressed schedule. <laughs> yes, Baz had been busy, pruning the ritual of acclamation wherever she could find a branch to snip. Salton House ought to have been next, but Baz had got hold of old Borodine and prevailed upon him to waive his claim. After all, if he really wants to poison you, he can do it at the next council dinner. From there, she had trotted across University Place to Garden and Purse, the School of Statecraft, to enlist the help of Kaluk Lovstrom. Hmm. You do not trust that man. He's just too... trustworthy. Everybody trusts Lovstrom. To be discreet, to be impartial, to be reasonable and even-handed. Wherever in the world a ceasefire is being negotiated, or a border is being drawn, or a global trade deal is being brokered, he's the tall blonde in the back row, smiling earnestly, with his hand on somebody's shoulder. Hmm, such a good man. A bridge builder, a well digger, a uniter. He is, in fact, the perfect bastard. 
or would be if they'd have him. You've seen his name bubble up on Voxen as a potential heir a dozen times, but it's never going to happen. At bottom, Lovestrom is what the bastards fancy themselves to be, not what they are. And, to any clear-eyed Herodus, the thought of unleashing a peacemaker like Lovestrom upon a conclave of the Vox Inaudita is downright horrifying. They can talk all they like about the Great Balance, but the backbone of bastardom is, and has always been, paranoia. If anything like actual cooperation ever does break out among them, you can kiss civilization goodbye. <laughs> Lovstrom was waiting for you in the Atlas Room, along with a little gang of other college heads whom he'd assembled at short notice. Before you could blink, he had you locked in a handshake so warm it nearly melted your arm, and was inquiring about your bandaged hand with more genuine concern than you've ever had for anything. Really unfair. You thanked him, of course, and cast about desperately for some way to close the sincerity gap, but in the end the best you could do was compliment his cufflinks. Weak. But he beamed with humble joy. Turns out they're made of salvaged parts of disarmed landmines, made for him personally by the children of the village after he... blah, blah, bloody lovestrom... He was nearly crying by the time he finished the story. Nearly had you crying. <sighs> so, yes, that's Lovstrom. You can't always judge a college by its head, but he really is just the distilled essence of garden and purse. The very buildings have a sort of refined muscularity to them. Not masculine, but... Powerful. The college crest is the shackled unicorn. Power and beauty, rigidly controlled. Like its leaders, the college's manners are superior without superiority. You can't even bring yourself to hate them. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, because they're dreadfully dangerous. Take this afternoon, for example. Baz may have put him up to it, but it was Lovstrom who talked seven of his bitter rivals into chucking whatever they'd rather have been doing and coming round to his place, entirely as a favor to a VC whom they've not yet met and whom they may not get another chance to assassinate. And yet, there they were, seven exalted chieftains of seven warlike tribes, standing about chatting and laughing in the great hall of a man who, if they'd stopped gossiping a moment to realize it, is perhaps their single deadliest enemy. All you can say is he'd better not try any of his puppet mastery on you. Nobody hijacks Adrian Ward. Except, well, yes... However, you've nothing to complain about as far as this afternoon's little summit meeting is concerned. After a jolly bit of democratic chin-wagging, you took up your spot by the tea urn, 
and the others huddled over in the far corner and pretended not to exist, as you met, Gret, drank, and ate salted peanuts with each in turn. Lovstrom first, obviously. And then... <sighs> All right. <sighs> Punkty-punk. Paul Momadou, head of Rattigan College. A man composed almost entirely of curly gray beard. Invited you to some special dinner, or something. Not sure. You were distracted. Not Otherward's fault this time, just you think that he was wearing leather socks. You only caught a momentary glimpse, but that was your impression. Leather socks. Anyhow, next. Uh, Dr. Hannah Lomu, head of Ashcraft. Wanted to talk to you about creative expression in the world of finance, the role of the artist's eye in investment. <laughs> and you thought there'd been a language barrier with Lobanova. <laughs> ah, next was Dr. Jurgen Barbosa, whom you suspect of secretly being an utter darling. Face like a cutting board, underbite like a piranha fish, and he's believed to have killed at least four people back in the days before he left the favela to come be head of Vale College. Supposedly, he's got some dreadfully daring theories about cultural burn cycles, but to you, he was a perfect bar lamb. For all of the thirty seconds you got to spend chatting with him, that is. Other Ward grabbed the reins at that point, and stole all the rest of that conversation and the ones that followed. You have no memory of meeting with Bridget Coyne of Barrow Hall, or with Dr. Kulik of Sylvan. You particularly regret missing out on your meeting with Piet Botha, the longtime warden head. Big Botha is an Ortigate institution, but for all the times you've seen him shambling about in University Place, you've never actually spoken to him. You didn't even recognize him at first, because he was wearing trousers. Getting Big Botha to abandon his trademarked set of disgraceful flannel pajamas may be Lovstrom's single greatest feat of tactful manipulation. <laughs> hmm. So, missed out on Botha. And then... Next must have been... Guildford College Head. B.K. Reddy. Nope, nothing important came out of that tete-a-tete. You can't even think of what BK Ready looks like. <sighs> what a mess. You finally returned, just as you were saying ta-ta to Dr. Ito, the head of Bridge House. You didn't need to be present to know what he wanted from you. Ito's crusade for 110% sustainability is as much a fixture of Bridge House as the new bridge itself. Hope other ward had the sense not to commit to anything. It's going to be embarrassing enough breaking promises you remember making. That only left old Lord Toby, present in his capacity not as council member, but as the head of Newgrave College. He didn't seem to quite recall having dined with you last night. Seemed to think you were off your rocker, in fact, 
but he was kind enough to humor you. He smiled at you ever so gently, gave you your peanut, and told you a story about a shipwreck. So, that was that for the Garten and Purse Summit. Lovstrom apologized. He hadn't been able to get hold of C.C. Quartang at McNaughton, and since the acclamation meetings have got to be in order, well, that was that. However, he had no doubt that you'll find a way somehow. Sir Adrian Ward always does. And, ahem, intimate voice, strictly entre nous, if you ever found time in your schedule to conduct a little seminar on the ethical exercise of supranational authority, the GNP scholars would be eternally grateful. How that man hasn't been expunged yet, you have no idea. Best not stand too close to him in future. The Manoch may take its chance to scuff both of you at once. Still, you thanked him. Thanked all of them. And really, for a moment at least, you truly felt as if vice-chancelloring might not be such a bad life after all. Especially with a devoted thug like Baz as your right hand. While she was escorting you from Queensmead to Garten and Purse, you'd been too shell-shocked from the Osterman encounter to really take in all the details she was rattling at you. Just that she had to collect a few things, and would meet you at the main G&P gatehouse after you were done with Lovstrom's little speed-dating event. So, at the conclusion of the love fest in the Atlas Room, you headed dutifully for University Place. And there, more dutifully still, was Baz. The things she had collected were, in order of appearance, one, the Bananamobile, and two, Dr. Cece Quartang. You nearly sat on the old fellow's lap. You'd pulled the car door open and were about to sling yourself into the passenger's seat when about eight feet of celebrated poet unfolded right in your face. Baz had run the prodigal MacNaughton head to ground on the Sylvan College backs. He took your startled hand between his own great soft mitts and grinned. In a voice like distant thunder, he bestowed a sort of bittersweet benediction. A farewell to Sir Reggie, and a hallo to little Adrian, and a general attaboy to the rolling flood of life that makes fruit from flowers, and vice-chancellors from young scholars, and so on. You were hopelessly enchanted, needless to say. Fancy having Sissy Quartang write a special poem all for you. Baz said afterwards that's just how he is. Still. Quartang had been eating his lunch when Baz found him, and had enough of it left to complete the ceremony there and then. You got a bite of his pasty and a swig of worryingly Irish coffee from a battered old thermos. Then he put you, gently but firmly, into the seat he had vacated, and once more you were on your way. <clears throat> <sighs> 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 
Yes, off down the high street, headed for the far fore with a good head of steam. No need to hit Free Hall. It seems Dr. Sarhan had her fill of you last night, and, like Borodine, had waived her claim. So you went straight on to Bester. There you passed a pleasant few minutes splitting an orangina and a packet of salt and vinegar crisps with Shanna Malone, whilst you watched Renzo Ray run his squad round and round Hawk's Mire. Looking promising, self. Looking very promising. The mire has escaped getting built over all these years because it's basically a swamp, and the recent rain has turned it into a sort of soup. Nevertheless, Renzo's heroes slopped through it bravely, with the grim determination of true competitors who know they may sink out of sight if they stop. Then, just as Warden told the knell of parting day, you popped over to old Carol for your so-long-overdue reunion with Regina Varden. You have missed her. You didn't know how much till you saw her again. She remembered you perfectly, of course, and she hauled Baz in as well for a round of honest-to-goodness root beer floats. She'd got the ice cream from the market specially that morning, Toffee absinthe. Sounds entirely dreadful, but it was actually amazing. You had completely forgotten about the old Carol market. You'll have to drag yourself down there some Sunday, see if they're still doing the bizarre bazaar. How different it'll be with pence in pocket, eh? Anyhow, according to Gina, the float counts as both food and drink. So, well, there you have it. At least someone still cares about efficiency. <laughs> Good old Gina. Looking splendid, in excellent health. Lovely to catch up on old times, as much as you could do under the circs. Uncertain going, what with all the elephants in the room, but you did what you could, and so did she. She asked after Yannick, with the painful delicacy of one who is pointedly not mentioning the other two-fifths of the young band of miscreants that once terrorized her difference engineering department. <laughs> Eventually you had to leave, but you didn't want to. And, as things turned out, you really might as well not have done. But you did. Off you went, into the twilight, with twenty-three heads accounted for, and only the laboratory colleges to go. Ought to have been smooth sailing. <sighs> yes, ought to have been. But wasn't. Because your next, and unexpectedly final stop, was Gambrel College. And there... All your best-laid plans, which had been zooming merrily along, smashed themselves to pieces. Well then, off to Gambrel College.
and, apparently, a dead end. Comparisons with the tragically abbreviated career of Sammy Braden, though in poor taste, are difficult to avoid. What accident or malice can have, ahem, cut short our poor hero's acclamation? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealtergatepapers.com. Find the Altergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well. And spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. Thank you for listening to Tuesday Terror right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, the Saturday Story Circle for kids and family alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. This is the Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.